You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Tony, someone dies on your watch, you don't give up. Who said we're giving up? We are for not taking responsibility for our actions. This document just shifts the blame. I'm sorry, Steve, that... that is dangerously arrogant. This is the United Nations we're talking about. It's not the World Security Council, it's not S.H.I.E.L.D., it's not Hydra. No, but it's run by people with agendas, and agendas change. That's good. That's why I'm here. When I realized what my weapons were capable of in the wrong hands, I shut it down and stopped manufacturing. Tony, you chose to do that. If we sign this, we surrender our right to choose. What if this panel sends us somewhere we don't think we should go? What if there's somewhere we need to go and they don't let us? We may not be perfect, but the safest hands are still our own. If we don't do this now, it's going to be done to us later. Stay down. Final warning. I could do this all day. Welcome, everyone, to Trek FM's local watering hole. And, uh, guys, I'm so excited. We have so much to talk about. I, I can't I can't even wait. Uh, we are going to be talking about Civil War, Marvel's brand-new film, Captain America Civil War, my favorite Marvel superhero. And uh, just before we dive into that, of course, I've got to remind everybody, you can find the 602 Club on Trek FM, which is trek.fm online. We're also on iTunes at itunes.com slash trek.fm. In fact, while you're there, give us a star rating and review. That really helps us out as people find the show because of your star ratings and reviews. So please do that while you're there. You can leave us a voicemail. Gosh, I would love to hear what side you're on. Team Cap, Team Iron Man. I don't know. Maybe you're on Team Spider-Man. Just let me know. Let's go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and you can leave us a voicemail. Of course, you can find us uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and we also have the listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference, and just type Babel into the search field on Facebook or you can go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the mini bar. Well, huge show, so I had to have some amazing guests with me and all the way from Educating Geeks, I'm so excited to have Megan back. How's it going, Megan? It's going great. I'm excited to be on an, an episode of the 602 Club. It's been a while. I know. I know. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to be talking this. Uh, I love that we're having back as well. Bethany, it's so good to have you back here in the 602, especially after we talked Captain America last week. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm glad I could hit two of the three cat movies. They are some of my favorites. Awesome. And with her, her brother from the same mother, Riley Blanton. That's right. Uh, don't mind me. I'm just um, just leaving an old iTunes review for uh, the 602 Club. Ooh. Uh, just, like uh, I'm sucking it. up right at the beginning. <laughs> like, that's, uh, starting off on the right foot, hopefully. Oh, man. Well, uh, Kate, we have to just jump into this because there's so much to cover in this film. And this movie has a lot to do. And it has us choosing sides. Uh, a lot of things do these days, uh, Republican or Democrat, you know, Team Iron Man, Team Cap, uh, Superman or Batman. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, so this movie really did it. I mean, you got the hashtags out there, Team Iron Man, Team Cap, and 
one of the fun things is uh, <laughs> when, when you tweeted that out at a certain point, you would get like a response from like one of the other team members from like Team Iron Man. If you were Team Cap and they would come on and they'd be like, oh, uh, you should uh, think about choosing Team Iron Man. It's not too late. And so I really, I really like that. In fact, I got one from uh, Paul Bettany, Vision. So that was fun. <laughs> nice. And so, yeah, um, but it was really interesting here because, you know, they're all sitting down at a table and um, Secretary Ross comes in and says, look, and it's interesting because the way he puts it, you know, there's this minority, this vocal minority. He says some would prefer to call you guys vigilantes. And it's really because of all that they've done in the Marvel Cinematic Universe from the moment that... Tony Stark stands in front of everybody, says he's Iron Man, to what we saw in last year's Avengers with Ultron and Sokovia. And the world wants to put limitations and put the, the, the choice of what the Avengers do in the hands of a UN, I guess, Security Council kind of thing. And so I wanted to ask you guys, you know, I really wanted to look at, at, at the Team Iron Man side. And as to why some, especially in the movie, think that this is a good idea. Let's give his side a fair shake. What, what do you think, Megan? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm team cat. I'm definitely team cap. Um, although you did give me the idea just a minute ago. Where's team underoos, right? Oh, team underoos. Team, team underoos. Uh, underoos are that's, back too. That's totally got Yeah. That's got to be the hashtag. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I can totally see where Tony is coming from because I feel like he's really feeling the weight of the consequences of everything that the Avengers have been going through. I think in particular, all of the damage, the physical damage, the the damage to life that has occurred because of all of these immense battles that the Avengers have been a part of. I think it's really starting to weigh heavily on Tony and he needs I think he feels like he needs someone that can rein them in and potentially stop all of the killing and all of the destruction even though the whole goal of the Avengers is to stop that stuff but collateral damage is just it's a fact of what is happening and I think I think it's just really weighing on him so I totally get his point of view and I understand it I don't agree with it um but I, I totally understand where he's coming from. Well, and one of the things that's so interesting about where Tony's come from is that, you know, I mean, you think about all that's happened with him and he's constantly trying to fix things and fix the problem and make it better and uh, kind of like just continuing to tinker with things to to save the world. Like that's his whole thing. He, he feels like it's his job to save the world. And, you know, the last time that he tried that was Ultron and he brought a city down. And yeah. so I feel like Tony has finally seen the light in the sense that his hubris is so much that he needs somebody else to tell him when to stop and somebody that he's going to listen to. And maybe 117 nations finally saying, hey, you're wrong, was what got through to him. Uh, and then, of course, obviously realizing that, you know, having confronting the confrontation with the mother who says, hey, you know, my son, you murdered him. And really, she's kind of right, because it's Tony's fault that Ultron came to be 
because he wouldn't listen to Banner uh, about the the logic of maybe it's not our place to play God and make uh, artificial intelligence because maybe we're just not smart enough yet. You know, he, he even says to Banner and Ultron, I don't want to hear that argument. I don't want to hear it. You know, so I think Tony's got a lot of guilt riding on why he thinks this is the right decision and it makes complete sense for the character. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, he's going to break his old man's heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, going back to one of my favorite lines. Yeah, it's a tough. Um, the 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 team Iron Man thing, especially. I think if if you imagined an alternate universe where uh, Kevin Feige were ten years older and they constructed this back in, if we were getting Avengers movies instead of Blade movies in the nineties, <laughs> um, this movie would not have made as much sense. But really, in today's uh, political realm, uh, Iron Man's argument does make a lot more sense. I think than. And it, and you're forced to consider it. I think it's interesting as we get through the film, it kind of falls apart, which I think is why most of us are going to be Team Cap here throughout, and and the motivations for the conflict change throughout the um, throughout the film. But certainly at the beginning, it kind of, in some ways, does make sense that this this you know super powerful team of 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 quote unquote heroes are are operating again, like Mustache Man said without limit <laughs> I, I feel like tony too operates from this uh perspective where you know all of the avengers are reacting to the fact that the organization that they served uh was harboring hydra and with really terrible consequences as we saw and would have been even worse if they hadn't been stopped and i think tony you know with 117 nations as you mentioned matt and with being confronted by the mother to put a human face to the consequences of his actions. I actually think that it's those things on top of his loss of pepper that really makes him rethink because it's, it's Tony's fear, which is shown to be very obvious in both the Iron Man movies and in age of Ultron uh, that Tony fears what will happen to the earth. And he feels the hubris part comes in where he feels like he's the one to save the earth and he's maybe the only one who's capable of doing so. And thus he keeps seeing dangers and acting on them, not, you know, not necessarily thinking through what happens and not believing anybody else telling that, that he's wrong because he feels he's always right. And now in this movie, we finally see a Tony who has lost the thing that is most important to him at this point, and that is Pepper, and who is faced with the consequences of his actions over and over again in the form of how the other Avengers react to him, in the form of the mother, in the form of the UN. And I think he's almost afraid of himself now and afraid of the Avengers, what they can do if they do it wrong, because he frankly doesn't have the the best judgment in the world. Well, and then on top of that, I think it's interesting because, you know, surprising to a lot of people, especially after their relationship in Winter Soldier, you have Black Widow siding with Tony. But I think mm -hmm. it's because she is such a politically savvy person. She realizes where the world is. And she's just, she's playing the political game. It's not about for her what she's thinking is right or wrong. She's just seeing, okay, 
we as an organization called the Avengers, as she says or later on to, to Steve, it's not how we stay together. It's just important that we stay together. Whereas for Steve, it's it's the opposite. It's it's how we stay together. It's what we're doing, why we're doing it. You know, and so coming from that side, she can see it. And then what's really interesting, because you have Rhodey, and he is the consummate soldier who just takes orders. And so if somebody in authority is telling him that it's the right thing to do, he accepts that it's the right thing to do without questioning it. And I think that that's really interesting because, I mean, look at all the things that have happened. A majority of the things that have happened to the Earth have been our heroes reacting to things. But Ultron was about our crew being proactive, at least Tony trying to be proactive, and curtailing catastrophe before it happens, but by doing that, actually creating catastrophe. And so it's just a, it's a really interesting thing to think. And I mean, when you think of all the things that Tony Stark can create, yeah, I think if anybody needs to be put in check, it's Tony. <laughs> yeah, it probably is Tony. That's a great point. <laughs> I I do wonder, being the uh, political science uh, nerd over here, how much of a commentary this could be on the Bush administration doctrine, you know, preemptive strike idea, whereas with Tony, it's preemptive world saving. You know, I see a suit of armor around the earth. And I, I think we get a Tony who... I do not see him happy once in this Civil War movie. He is a beaten man questioning his own judgment, questioning his teammates' judgment, um, questioning his relationship. And, and it's just, he obviously feels guilty. It's very apparent he's insecure. It's very apparent that, you know, he's going through serious personal issues with uh, Pepper, who is the love of his life. And... He's trashed all of his suits and he's a tinkerer. You know, that's that's like taking the one thing that he loves and just destroying it. So I, I think, I, I don't know. I've always loved the character of Iron Man slash Tony Stark. And I'm actually kind of worried about his future in the next few movies. Um, you know, especially given what he found out about uh, his parents. Well, and I think it's interesting too because... It you see the proclivity of humanity to be its own worst enemy, especially in Tony. But part of that, I think, is is this... Tony's not grounded in anything. There's nothing that um, really makes him rooted in something beyond himself and what he thinks. And I think that's kind of a dangerous place to be when you have that much power to not have a foundation built on something other than yourself. And that's all Tony has, you know? I mean, he has some desire for altruism, which has luckily just come about in the last eight years. Um, but it, it's not really a firm foundation. So I, I think that's really interesting. I think that's the very antithesis to who Cap is, you know? And as we look at you know, Cap on the other side, you know, for him, I, he sees this inherent danger of taking, you know, uh, choice away from the Avengers and making them pawns of a political body whose will and whim can change like chaff in the wind. You know, and I think he's really 
fearful of being put in situations where he could be forced and act to act in ways that he wants to have no part of because he believes they're wrong or to be forced to stay out of situations that he feels like they should be in mainly just because of the political sentiment of the ruling class of this overarching, you know, thing that they're supposed to be under. And to me, you know, Bethany Riley, I think uh, the correlation really here for, for nerds, think about the Jedi and the prequels. I mean, they allow themselves to be agents of a government instead of being bound to the will of the force. And they're compromised. They realize way too late that they are in the service of the wrong master. And I think that's exactly what Steve is worried about. It's almost like there's a, a, a cogent and coherent, if not important, uh, political message behind some of the themes of the Star Wars prequels. But I know, it's shocking <laughs> like that they have something to say and to add to the general discourse of humanity. <sighs> yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting... Yeah, and that's part of what makes this film uh, so incredible is just the fact that there is an element of a, of a Captain America, of a Steve Rogers that's in such a different world post post winter soldier that it, it is it's 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 sort of um i'm not sure i would quite i think i, I feel like I'm, and I'm kind of thinking out loud here a little bit so but i i kind of feel like uh, tony has a world view now and that's really something that's very important like he he has his convictions about making the world a better place. I think that's the whole, that's part of what makes the first Iron Man movie still one of, I think the top three best Marvel films ever, uh, because we see that, that change where he's, he, he's egotistical, but he also knows that he has an uh, enormous talent that he thinks he needs to use for the good of the world. The problem, the problem is the underlying, the underlying, I think moral compass is, is, D divergent from Steve Rogers, and that's where the conflict starts. Well, and Tony has a very valid point when he says that the Avengers don't have any kind of structure as to how they make decisions. You know, what does happen when one of them wildly disagrees with the rest? What does happen when, as a whole team, they might get into some sort of situation that's a moral uh, quagmire? Obviously, their actions in Age of Ultron showed that Tony was willing to go against everybody else. Uh, Banner was willing to just kind of side with him when he thought it was the right thing to do and side with the others when he thought that was the right thing to do. And Thor had a vision and just acted on it without telling anybody else or talking about it. Yeah. And so it's, it's this, this whole thing of when they're working as a team, they're great. But we have essentially this group of superhuman, all-powerful, political assassins who can roam the world at will doing what they want. And I'm kind of exaggerating a bit, but not really, given the situation. Yes, they're all good people, but everybody has flaws. What is going to govern that their flaws don't mean that, you know, a city gets wiped off the map or a, or a country doesn't fall into chaos and political ruin? She makes a good point. I'm just, I'm just gonna say it. No, it's it's fantastic because you know, coupled with that, uh, you can definitely see that something does probably need to change. You know, for the Avengers, 
But if, is that yeah. what needs to change that they need to be have the oversight from somebody else? And, and the fear of CAP is really that we kind of started off on this road to serfdom that we're just going to be in service of something that we won't have a choice anymore. And you think about this, the reason CAP is so adamant against this is he knows exactly what happens when somebody of this kind of power has all choice taken away for him and you turn up with the Winter Soldier. That's who that character is. It is a is a political tool that has no choice but to do what the political will of the establishment is. And that is a scary thing, and that is exactly what Cap does not want to become. He does not want to have that choice taken away. He wants the right to choose. And he doesn't want to be put in a place that he's taking orders from something that again has no foundation you know cap i think this is what i love about the character he is bound to something that is greater than himself he believes in truth absolutes he believes in right and wrong and that those things don't change with culture or you know political parties or our prevailing sentiment of the populace you know and he is in every sense um a man out of time right oh, he's totally he's, yeah and that's kind of the point of they, they make jokes about it uh, <laughs> quite a bit, but it, he is the, the Captain America list. Not only is he removed from popular culture, he's just removed from culture. He has an old fashioned sense of, of right and wrong that is very difficult, honestly, to apply to uh, the modern Avengers initiative. And I, and I think that uh, so in, in that way, at least, I think uh, Tony's concerns are legitimate. Um, but as far as like the solution, not, not something I necessarily agree with, which is interesting because we don't really get an answer to like what the solution is in the end. Uh, and that's where I'm interested to see like, what is the Avengers initiative by the time we get to, uh, infinity war. And I guess we'll just have to find out. Well, and it is funny <laughs> that that question is asked by cap to Nick Fury and the first Avengers. Yeah. He says, hey, what, what do I how can I be a part of this? You know, and he, I'm just an old fashioned guy and with old fashioned values. And Nick Fury's like, well, I think maybe these people need a little bit of old fashioned, you know, like the, yes. there's the, such and, a good line. And I think it it's so interesting to me that all of these films have cap at the center because he's the only one that, which I love this quote from Sharon Carter um, talking at Peggy's funeral about what her aunt said to her about how to make it in a you know in a man's world and her quote is in, is invaluable to where cap ends up and it says she said compromise where you can where you can't don't even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right even if the whole world is telling you to move it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree to look them in the eye and say no you move. And that is exactly what Captain America is doing to the world. He's saying, no, you move. You've moved beyond anything absolute. I'm the absolute, basically. I'm the only one who's standing for that anymore. And I just, I love that. I think it's it's a powerful message in our world today. And it's one of the things that I love about Captain America. And I love that that quote is pretty much straight from one of the comics, and it's something that Cap himself said. So I like that it's being used to influence who he's going to be for the rest of this film. Oh, yeah, and it's it's why 
I mean, it may have taken me two viewings of the movie, but I finally came to the decision that I was team cap. Um, <laughs> and it, it's, it's so very interesting to watch too, because what I said about Tony's argument and that he has a valid point is true, at least from a certain point of view. Uh, but uh, but he he acts on it with such fear. And again, it's driving him to the other extreme instead of saying, all right, well, we need to sit down as a team, make some broad overarching rules for our organization that can't be broken, put together some sort of, you know, what happens if one of us goes rogue. So essentially a Veronica, but for the Avengers as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> So it, 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 but instead it's like, oh no, we have to like be completely ruled by a committee from the UN and do everything that they decide. And again, it's, it's Tony's fear, I think that's driving him. And the thing that keeps Cap from being so fearful is because he has a moral foundation and a system of beliefs that Tony just doesn't have. Tony wants to do good, but he doesn't know what good is. He, he strayed too far from it, and when it hit him in the face in Iron Man, he, he's changed his life around, but he hasn't been able to stand still long enough to figure out what he stands for ultimately. I think that's so interesting, too, because Matthew kind of made me think of this, and you kind of piggybacked onto it, Bethany. It's so interesting how instead of getting the Avengers together and saying, hey, we've got a problem within our organization, we need to address it, he just allows an outside force to come in and start telling them what to do. And in a very non, this is not how a good leader works, right? A good leader doesn't bring in an outside force and then unilaterally say, hey, we're all going to do it this way now and you're going to agree to it or you're going to get out, which is basically what Tony is doing, right? And you're completely right, Bethany. I think it's because he's just totally driven by fear and he doesn't know it's paralyzed him and he doesn't know how to handle it. And so he's doing it the best way he can, but it's probably not the best way to handle a group of superheroes, <laughs> right? Uh, it's so interesting. Well, not, and I'm going to put on my military nerd hat here for a second. I'm not really going to get political, but I am going to get tactical. When you're talking about taking an initiative again like the avengers is a, it's an extremely powerful international force uh for good uh and and in fact in a lot of ways the united states military is viewed, is viewed this way especially now because these days uh special operations is is the is the name of the game and so these highly elite units going in and uh exerting the will of of what's right and just or at least in in some people's mind the will of the american government some people say those two aren't always the same, but but that's sort of it's such a great parallel today because you can look at it, you, whether or not you get the UN sanction. Um, you can look at the 1991 Desert Storm as an extraordinarily effective uh, as extraordinary air air combat, and 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 but if you look later into 2004 in Iraq, less effective just from a tactical perspective. So it's interesting that it's not just about oversight. It's about, uh, like, I'd be interested to know just, like, how do, do the Avengers operate? Uh, and and because you, you know this can't be the first time. I don't know. I, I find it fascinating that the, the really instigating event that really sets off the collateral damage isn't a city dropping from the sky. It's... Uh, a slightly uncontrolled explosion with a handful of civilian casualties. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> well, and that's that's something that uh, kind of bothered me about the film because I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Even police officers have casualties, like because if you're having a car chase or something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, this isn't just something that happens when you have superheroes. This is just something that happens in real life as you're trying yeah. to, uh, you know, contain what's happening that's bad or evil. And that's like normal scale collateral damage. What happened there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, and the fact that they were chasing down a guy who's trying to take a biological weapon weapon and sell it on the black market most likely or to use it to some nefarious reason because this guy's gone crazy i mean it's i mean they're again they're being reactive they're not being proactive they're not they're not being preemptive they're they're just reacting to the situation at hand just as any good intelligence officer should and so it was interesting that this is what where team ross comes in Thaddeus Ross from, uh, in some people may have forgotten from the Incredible Hulk. Who's, oh yeah, yeah. For who's never been a huge fan. Uh, in fact, he's been kind of fanatically anti-superhero. He's and he taken... was not. That's not just in the comics. That's from the. I'm trying to like. I'm reaching into the back of my memory when I watched uh, the Incredible Hulk. He was pretty. He's not 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 the biggest fan. No, not at all. And whole, he yeah uses this politically to basically corner the Avengers, to outmaneuver them. Well, and he does, right? I mean, he effectively splits them off. Uh, and it's in, because he, and he seems like tame in this movie comparatively, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a will nonetheless. And I think, I think we're really only scratching the surface with what some of the political wills of uh, behind the Avengers are going to be. My personal theory, if I could just take a quick uh, throw the old Riley theory dart against the wall, uh, let's see what sticks. I, I I think that the fact that it's fairly ambiguous, the role of Iron Man and the remaining Avengers, uh, since Captain America is kind of hightailing it out of there, just saying, well, if you need me, call. You got my number, bro. He's gone rogue. Yeah. So at this point, like, I, I'm I'm guessing Tony's not exactly going to call his bro much anymore, uh, mm-hmm. for reasons that we'll discuss shortly. But it, moving forward, it, that what that means for the Avengers is that they are pretty much still under these same conditions, and and the full conflict hasn't been resolved. Which, by the way, what makes this movie so brilliant is that this what you think would be the central conflict of like what's the role of the Avengers, that doesn't matter. What matters are the characters and Tony's conflict with Cap. That's the story. So it doesn't matter that this isn't resolved, but the fact that it's not resolved, I think, leaves open an amazing story. And my, I'm, I'm quite confident that Bilbo Baggins has some nefarious plans for the <laughs> Avengers, and we'll learn a lot. <laughs> We're going to learn a lot there. Oh, man. I tell I you that no Bilbo Gant Baggins. going to show up. Oh, man. It, he, he, when he said he was going on an adventure, I had no idea this is what it was. Um, <laughs> That leads me to something really interesting in the film because uh, we've been talking a lot about this idea of of fear and regret and guilt and one of the main underlying themes in the whole movie is revenge. You know, Zemo wants revenge and he's driven by it as no other villain has been, but he does something that no other villain has been able to do and that is to be able to destroy the Avengers from the inside out. Because he plays on those fears and their personalities to rip them apart. And I think that um, it's it's just very interesting that 
revenge is driving a lot of people in this film. It's driving Zemo. It ends up driving, um, you know, well, it drives uh, Black Panther for quite a while. And it also drives, in the end, Tony Stark. Yeah. And revenge had, I mean, we've seen it over and over and over again. It will rip and tear you apart because it is a emotion that is so hard to control and, and makes you so irrational. And not care about what any of the consequences are. And that's exactly where Zemo is. He doesn't necessarily want to do the bad things he's doing. He, he tries to find a way around that. But he's still willing to bomb the UN building, kill King T'Chaka and anybody else he needs just to get the Winter Soldier out of hiding so he can destroy the Avengers who destroyed his life. That's not rational. <laughs> you know, one thing I think that you just made me think of that really highlights the difference between Black Panther and and Tony is it seems like the Black Panther's need for revenge is somehow still somewhat logical, right? Like he doesn't want to take revenge on the wrong person. So as soon as he finds yep. out that Bucky isn't the one that killed his father, he he's like, all right, let's move on. Let's go find the right guy. Um, and then ultimately decides not to end his life because that's not justice, um, which I thought was really interesting. And oh my gosh, what a great character. I can't wait for his movie. Yes. <laughs> that's pretty much just, it. That's just, yeah. yes. Um, no, Chaswick, <laughs> what's interesting is that this movie is so jam-packed. There, there are so many reasons this thing should fail, right? There, <laughs> there are so many uh, characters competing for screen time. You have to it, somehow... Ladies and gentlemen, well, welcome. If you thought that Marvel couldn't impress you more, somehow the Russo brothers have made a film. Or think about it. We have to introduce and establish the entire culture of Wakanda and the Black Panther and make him a compelling hero and get everybody excited about that film. Mission accomplished. Nailed it. Number two, we have to bring in a character that has been totally unaffiliated with any Marvel Cinematic Universe and have to seamlessly integrate him into that universe, who's already been established with 17 previous films, and we have, tw we have 12 minutes of screen time for him. Boom. Perfectly done with Spider-Man. We also have to allude briefly just in the dialogue to make sense why uh, why Hulk and Thor aren't here and they're all fighting adventures together going to be together in Ragnarok in space like three movies from now they did it again and in the midst of all of this cluttered well, not to mention Ant-Man who who's also fits in and awesome. with all of this these pieces and these characters that are fighting for their own story they all they all center on they're revolving around and orbiting the character of Captain America and this central conflict between Tony and Cap. And somehow, somehow beneath all of that, there's a depth of uh, a depth of conflict, legitimate conflict with legitimate motivations beneath all of that, that isn't forced at all. Uh, that just makes sense that you care about. It's just, I mean, I'm just, if I had a mic, I, I guess my mic's attached to a stand or I would drop it. They, they did it. Russo brothers have made what I think is probably, I mean, I, I, guys, I think this might be my favorite Marvel movie. It, it might be. Mm. Well, don't, don't, don't give it away yet. Don't give it away yet. 
don't give it away yet because we will get there. Um, but no, I, I think you make a really interesting point because there's all this going around. But really what it comes down to is this this story between Cap and Tony and Tony feeling betrayed by Cap for not telling him that he knew that Bucky was responsible for his parents' death, um, which I do have to say um, uh, the whole like Tony being so close to his mom, I, I didn't quite buy because that hasn't really been as established in the universe as his daddy issues have, but it's okay. But what I love is that. Yeah, Cap- but it was Mother's Day weekend. Oh, yeah, that's true. That that's in. true. You got to tie it in somehow because uh, it's all about mothers these days, Um, depending on what their name is. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> what I love is that Cap shows his quality as he interposes himself between Iron Man and Winter Soldier, and he's protecting them both because Tony, again, just like Zemo, he acts out of revenge. He doesn't care. Cap even says to him, Tony, it wasn't him. He was brainwashed by Hydra. And he's like, I don't care. And A perfectly and delivered line, too. It is perfectly delivered. Because you buy it. You buy it that Tony has become the very thing to which people fear that the Avengers are, which is just a vigilante group out for themselves and not out for the good of the people. And Tony has become that at the end of this film. And Cap saves him from being his own worst enemy again because if he had killed Bucky I don't know if he would have ever been able to come back from that because of the guilt he would have had added to him because once he was rational and realized that he killed a man that yes killed his parents but had no control over what he was doing it was basically like somebody reprogramming one of his robots to go out oh wait he already had that happen Ultron he created <laughs> and it went out and it killed a bunch of people. So that's exactly what happened. And and Tony just wasn't in a place to realize that. And I love that cap. This this very big story comes down to three men fighting and one trying to say, No, you 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 can't I'm not gonna let you do what you wanna do because right now you're not rational enough to realize that you don't wanna do it. Absolutely. And, and, and we can, and we legitimately, we can give Tony a lot of crap for, 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 for creating Ultron. And that's real. that's a lot of what is building here. This, this, this central conflict does come very much out of age of Ultron. Um, uh, underrated by the way, I don't pile on it. Like, like I know some people do, uh, but, but it, it does have its weaknesses. And, and that is one of them. I do think though, you have to give, uh, Tony credit where where it's due and that he has also has reason to think that he does offer the best solution because um, without Tony, they wouldn't have been able to defeat Ultron. So he definitely created the problem, but also he was the one who was responsible. Well, him and Thor. uh, Well, him and Thor are responsible for creating the solution in in vision. Um, So I, I, I think that, that kind of again it helps balance out that argument just a little bit well and i think it means that they're better together than they are separate and it, you know yeah. that's that's really what we were talking about earlier it's really when they act as a team i mean wouldn't you say bethany yeah i i would definitely agree with that and the the thing about tony is from his perspective he could argue that yeah well he screwed up in creating ultron that's because he didn't manage to complete it And so from Tony's perspective, you could say that in the end, Ultron got out of hand 
but the end goal was vision and thus the goal was achieved. We could use the artificial intel to make the world's protector without the, uh, what was it, without the flaws that he thinks are his winning personality. Uh, too many quips, by the way, yes. Uh, too many quips in Age of Ultron, just a few too many. <laughs> that's, that's one, I'll give him that. So Matt, I did want to address really quickly on the topic of revenge. You mentioned not really understanding why um, essentially the comparatively minor casualties of the incident at the opening of the movie caused so much anger or caused all of this this conflict in the wanting to control the Avengers. And I don't think it was the cause. I think it was a symptom. Uh, I, th I think that the real cause of it was once the dust settles and the people and the governments are no longer fearing for their lives or the safety of planet Earth itself from aliens or other humongous threats like Ultron, uh, that they then have time to not to move from a state of fear and panic to moving to a state of they want answers. They need to point fingers. They can't just sit there and helplessly say, well, the aliens were there, they were coming, and that's why we had all this damage. You know, everybody wants control. And revenge, in some ways, is about getting back control for something that happened to you that you couldn't control. So it's, it's about making that person pay and bringing things back into your control so that you can make sure nothing bad happens again from that source that took, took something away from you or did something to you. So the people fear the Avengers and they, they, but uh, it's more so the government that does. And at this point in time, there, there are no huge alien threats and there was no tangible, I mean, yes, a weapon was stolen that that would have been quite terrifying, but there, there was no huge media coverage in universe. There are no buildings falling. There are no flying aliens. There are no giant monsters and spaceships. So the threat doesn't feel as tangible, but what does feel tangible is an explosion. Well, and it's almost as if uh, the moment that buildings aren't falling on you, that, uh, you know, things become like they're not really a problem. Maybe it's just the JV team and we don't really need to worry about them. So <laughs> I think that's a really, that's a really great point, Bethany, because it, it does really happen in our world. The moment that the threat gets to a level that we think that we can start to control, we want to take it out of control. What's been keeping us safe. And that's the whole question we talked about with winter soldier of, you know, how much uh, freedom do you give up to keep yourself safe and all of that. So, Captain America continues to ask such great questions throughout its films and really make us deal with, I think, the world that we live in. And we're being challenged by a man out of time who I think maybe has an answer that we just aren't ready to hear or want to hear. And I really like that. Well, I, I want to... I want to ask you guys, uh, you brought it up, Riley, these uh, new heroes that we do have in the film. So I wanted to cover what you guys thought of Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman playing this brand new character, which, you know, Marvel really doesn't do the thing too much where it introduces a character in a film and then they have their own movie. Um, the, uh, the really, I think the only character that we've had that gets kind of introduced and has never had their own movie is uh, 
Black Widow. Uh, even <laughs> though she should have already had her own movie a long time ago. But uh, they yeah. do that with Black Panther here. And I think, God, it, dude, I didn't know what to think about this character beforehand. But, whoo, cannot so wait cool. for 2018. Mm. It's so far away. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the The most fascinating part of Black Panther is that, as someone who knows very little about the comic origin, you just sort of discover nonchalantly in the background of the movie, especially the second time I watched it. It's like, wait a second. This is this is very much like a, an isolated world, Wakanda and culture, but that is on the forefront of technological advancement. Uh, and and this sort of warrior race is now that the world is changing and you live in this world of Avengers. Now it's time to participate in it. And they're obviously that's something they're trying to do at the beginning of the film when their uh, emissaries are are unfortunately uh, destroyed uh, by the by the Avengers. But um, but like as you learn, but, but it's not like in your face. There's not sort of this like there's not this abrupt and Wakanda. This is a Wakanda. Here's obvious dialogue to talk about what the it, you know Wakanda is for the uninitiated. You just learn it naturally, and it fits very naturally into the film. Uh, conversely, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and tag Spider-Man in here real quick. What's funny is that it's the exact opposite with Spider-Man and works just as perfectly well because Spider-Man doesn't need to have uh, be naturally fit in. It's basically just a big, giant uh, uh, studio middle, middle finger to Sony saying, hey, we get this character. Boom, here's Queens. Boom, here's Spider-Man. He's awesome. That's literally like how it is. And so it's intentionally like uh, forced in. Uh, and I actually enjoyed the abruptness of it. So I thought it was interesting how they introduced the characters in a totally different way. But I honestly thought it worked uh, well on both counts. And it makes sense that Tony would just, on a whim, be like, hey, you know, I need somebody on my team. I'm just going to grab this kid. And it'll it'll work out great. I, the thing I love about Tony is that he does things like that. And some of the times it's really awesome, like with Spider-Man or the Iron Man suit uh, or Vision. And then other times it's just catastrophic and he can't seem to tell the difference. But, uh, oh, man, I loved both of these new characters so much. And it's 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 going to make me have a much harder time if this sort of civil war fracture continues into the next few films uh it 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 will it will be difficult to pick sides not because i don't have my own uh moral and political and philosophical beliefs about freedom versus security because i definitely do but because i i am one to get attached to characters Well, uh, for me, the introduction of Spider-Man was like Tony's biggest middle finger moment in the movie, right? That's something that we talked about that that's his personality and it's kind of missing from this movie. I think he feels um, he feels more beaten down, I think was what Bethany had had how Bethany had described him. But, you know, he's got like this kid he's been spying on in his back pocket. He thinks it's going to be his ace in the hole and... Uh, he just goes and basically brings this 16-year-old kid into a situation that he has no idea what he's getting into. No idea whatsoever. And just Tony just totally manipulates the crap out of him and brings him onto the team. It's so awesome, though. I love him in the movie. He's got 
basically everything that I've been looking for in Spider-Man on the Avengers. He's always the one being the sarcastic jerk, and I love it. I was so glad to see him in this movie. But uh, yeah, Tony um, manipulating a 16-year-old. Way to go. Like, that's... uh, that's real. The morals involved in that are are kind of interesting. Well, I have <laughs> to say, Tony Stark. yeah, I have to say, I Black Panther, fantastic. They that was so the most awesome. perfect introduction I have seen of a character that isn't a main character in the film. Uh, worked beautifully. Uh, it's what they wanted. Uh, I think Black Widow to work like in Iron Man two, but doesn't. But here it works perfectly. Um, I just I love him so much. Spider Man for me is a little shoehorned in, uh, and uh, I mean you can just tell that it's it's something that that they had to write in because the studio got control. You know, Marvel got to add him into their cinematic universe. They want to be able to do that here. Um, I think the scene feels abrupt. Spider-Man really has no part in the movie. There's no reason to put him in the movie. He doesn't do anything in the movie that is important. He's just there because they want to put him in the film. And I get that. Um, Luckily, it works for the most part. Um, I think what you said, though, uh, Megan, is that Tony shows his hubris big time again by going and getting a 16-year-old kid to bring into a hero fight with really seasoned heroes. This kid could get super hurt. And no warnings or anything. No, no. And and just think about this. Rhodey does get very hurt. Rhodey yeah. loses the, the, the use of his legs. So that could have been that 16-year-old kid, and Tony would have been responsible for that. It's like this guy cannot learn what is okay to do and what isn't okay to do. You know, if you want to take Spider-Man under your wing when you get home and like give him a new suit and teach him some things, yeah, that's cool. You want to bring him to a hero fight? I mean, it's like bringing it's like a 16 year old to a superhero fight. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's like exactly. it's like bringing a baby to a Hulk fight. You know, there's <laughs> it's just not a good call. And, and 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 that's what really kind of bothered me in the film. Nobody. Tony, there's no repercussions for that decision, at least right now. Um, I'm, maybe there will be in Spider-Man Homecoming because I know that Tony uh, is going to be a part of that film. But I was just. It it didn't work for me as well as it does for everybody else. Uh, luckily, the way Spider-Man looks, the way he moves, and the way he acts, and the kid they have playing with him, it's all great. So it, it only means good things for Spider-Man in that Homecoming film. I think I'm just a little bit Spider-Man out at the moment, just personally. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I gotta like I, I gotta be the um the Tony apologist here, kind of again. Uh, which I, I find myself surprisingly doing on this this particular episode, or at least I feel that's what I'm doing. But Tony is manipulating him, but Tony doesn't see that as manipulation. I think that Tony Stark feels like he's telling Spider-Man like it is. Um, and I, I think that Tony Stark, you know, from the age of 14 or 15, uh, felt like an adult because he was incredibly intelligent. And so while he may not have been experienced as a teenager, I think that he probably operated well above the level of most adults as far as his education level, what he could do, um, and just his experience in life. So I think from Tony's warped perspective, 
he could question himself in using Spider-Man, but not in manipulating him necessarily. Because again, Tony fervently believes that he's right and he knows what's best. And Tony thinks that, hey, he know he's not aware of Ant-Man. So he thinks I bring Spider-Man into this. We have them outnumbered. I win. I do what's right. And it's all for the greater good. That's a, that's a classic Tony argument. The greater good is what's most important. And he knows what's, what the greater good is. And he knows how best to, to get to that point. Even though we thought that he had learned that he doesn't know what the greater good is. And he needed somebody else to tell him what that was. But yeah, the greater good is always Tony's greater good. It's not necessarily the greater good for everybody. And that's the dichotomy between him and Cap. Like, Tony has his own personal greater good, whatever that happens to be this Tuesday, whereas Cap <laughs> tends to take that wider view and he's seen some things and understands the consequences of kind of that point of view, right? That whatever today's greater good is what we're going to fight for. Cap is that steadfast guy. Um Yeah, exactly. And, and it's like Tony always thinks that he knows best for the world. But that is such a nebulous thing. I mean, what yeah. even is the greater good for the world, for the planet? Uh, you can't make decisions like that as one man, no matter how smart you are and no matter how experienced you think you are. And, and that's, that's where it comes into his own selfishness, his insecurity, his hubris, even his desire to do what's good, all screw up his intentions of doing good things because he winds up doing bad things in the name of the greater good this nebulous idea that no single human and i doubt even humankind can just figure out what the greater good is well i wanted to to ask you guys because you know the film has some great hero against hero moments and uh, the first big one is at the airport and then the second one's at siberia what did you guys think about the big fight there at at the airport and how did that one end awesome. up working for you i was cheering i mean it was awesome <laughs> it was so much fun yeah you, you guys don't even know <laughs> you don't even know there's this this is this fight is the best superhero fight ever put on screen you're like, wow, that sounds very hyperbolic, Riley. <laughs> allow me, allow me to present to you what my main issue with pretty much every ma major superhero film that involves fights, uh, and that is there's 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 scale but no perspective. Here, there's perspective, and and what I mean by that is that it this this fight it could have been enormously tempting for uh, Disney and Marvel to make this fight. Uh, in some like central metropolitan major landmark city, uh, it and and it would have been interesting visually to spice things up like that. But the fact that it's just like an airport hangar, and and, and but and it, but the fact that that doesn't even matter, and it's about the the character conflicts. There's so many great small moments where it's appropriately funny. It's appropriately action-packed, and then it's appropriately tragic at the end. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, there's so many layers to it that all fit into this very short uh, sequence that I felt was pretty much perfectly executed. Yeah, there are so many levels of motivation for all of the characters, and I think what's really interesting is how you can see them really 
pulling out all the stops and giving it all they've got. But at the same time, they don't want to injure their friends. And so they're also holding back. Um, it's funny. You get to see Ant-Man go giant for the first time, which is awesome. Um, it's just, it was a really fun, well done fight. And well done. Tic Tac to the empire reference. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was awful. And I was like, any geek kid is not going to be like, have you ever seen this really old movie? That, that was, was awful great. dialogue. Awful, that was awful, the best awful, moment of the awful, entire awful, fight. Awful. Marvel uh, just trolled every adult in the audience uh, with that. <laughs> it was so Listen, bad. Listen, opening night, that was probably the biggest laugh of the movie. Like, everyone loved that. <laughs> What's wrong with it? That's literally Spider-Man. He's quipping. He's in no, high no, school. No, no, I know, but no, half of the theater no literally went, oh. is going to say... He's going to say, have you anybody ever seen that really old movie? They're just going to be like, do you remember in Empire Strikes Back? Because everybody knows what Empire Strikes Back. I just, I rolled my eyes so hard at that scene. I was like, this is bad writing. So you're saying it's bad two, writing. On, two on the nose? Two on the nose? It's two on the nose. It's two on the nose. Um, Spider-Man, he's always on no, the I, nose. No, I, I get that. <laughs> That's this, a good point. <laughs> I mean, I get that Spider-Man's always quippy, but what it wasn't that spider-man was being quippy it was how he was phrasing what he was saying because it doesn't make sense for a geek kid like him to reference it as do you remember that really old movie because to him it would just be the empire strikes back he wouldn't reference it as the really old movie he'd just be like do you guys I remember an empire strikes back them. because no geek kid thinks to themselves that old movie they just know it, it's star wars like we don't think it's really old like I kind of do, actually. <laughs> uh, anyway, you youngsters, you youngsters. I was okay. going to say, who's the youngest one on this chat? What is their opinion? <laughs> I was going to bring that up. Like, I mean, if I were the 16-year-old fighting with a bunch of 35, 40, 40-ish-year-olds, I, I would... <laughs> I would poke fun of their age. I really would if I had well, that kind of personality. Let's be fair. Like the one movie reference that Spider-Man makes is Empire Strikes Back, and he calls it really old. The one movie that Tony Stark references is the Manchurian Candidate. Yeah, which is <laughs> great. Right? I love that Manchurian Candidate. Can we got a truce here? Um, okay, uh, I, I I have a couple of things that though after seeing the movie three times really bother me about this fight because I like it for the most part, but the scene where Ant-Man goes really big. Cap and Winter Soldier are like, oh, I guess that's our cue. So they start running for the hangar, right? Yeah. The hangar's not that far away, and we've already established that these characters are really fast. We've seen them running next to cars that are going at least 30. So they can go really fast. The next time that you see them, they barely moved like two inches, but the fight has been going on for about a minute and yes. a half. It's a pacing. It's yeah, the edit awful is pacing. Yeah. It's awful. And not only that, but there's the there's the scene too, you know, once Rhodey has been shot, nobody can catch up to him. But my thought was, one, Wanda can catch anything. And then two, are her and Vision just not paying attention? I really yeah. wish they would have showed them not paying attention because to me, it's a big it's a it's a really big plot hole because they have a way no, to save Rhodey. No, Okay. Okay. So I haven't seen people talk about on this this online, and I don't know if it's because it's just me or if it's because I haven't really been online a whole lot in the past few days. I really do think that Vision is completely falling head over heels in love with Wanda. Oh yeah, yeah he totally yeah. is. And that thus he's completely distracted. He's not paying attention. He doesn't know what he's feeling because he hasn't 
ever really felt this before talking to I can't about fight it. this feeling <laughs> deep inside of me. Oh, goodness. And I think I think Wanda is also suffering from I mean, they're showing her inexperience and to a degree her insecurity throughout this entire film. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, she starts off the film by making that terrible mistake because she is the least experienced of them all. She's horrified by it. And then she almost does want to just essentially stay at home and sulk, to, to put but, it a bit childishly. Yeah, the more practical question, aren't they like miles away? No, they're not that far away. They're not that far. I mean, because I, I, I like when I watched it, it made perfect sense to me. Uh, I didn't even think about it till you brought it up because I, I assumed that they'd both taken off. He'd already taken off in the Quinjet and that's literally a, a jet powered plane uh, at takeoff. So I assumed that they should, I don't know what the, the what the maximum off range is, but I assumed there was a, a, a limit to her power. Yeah, it was just I mean, it, it just seemed kind of like a question to be a couple of pacing issue things but i there. do totally yeah so. by the way i too totally agree with you on the pacing there and that's, yeah. that's something difficult to do when you have this big fight yes. sequence yes. but you want to intercut the action in fact like honestly this is one of the, uh, i now that i've seen the movie like ten, well not like i've seen it 10 times uh with the force awakens that's the one of the jj's not he one of his weaknesses he's not as good as an editor as no, george lucas he's not uh, and so, like, there's the moment that, uh, and again, pardon the brief Star Wars nerdery for a second, but there's the moment at the end of The Force Awakens where uh, Chewie blows, and, and I guess mild spoilers, I'll keep any major spoilers out, but a few, like, minor editing spoilers. Chewie blows something uh, on, on the big planet, giving the good guys the chance to go in and destroy the thing and, you know, win the day. But there's like an honest to God. Like a 20 minute, minute later. 20 minute gap, 20 minute later. Every, then you suddenly see Poe Dameron like 20 minutes later saying, oh, there's a hole. Let's go for it. Um, and that's just necessary because there's like a lot of character moments in between that. But when you when you watch it uh, repeatedly, you just like totally forget that that happened. And and that's just editing. It's it's a it's a tough trick, especially the more familiar. Speaking as some a creative person if you get too familiar with your product, you just kind of assume everyone's on board at the same level you are. So it's a very easy mistake to make, but yeah, that, I, I totally see that. Yeah. It's, it's a, I mean, it's a fun, it's a good fight. Um, yeah. What I love before that fight is when Clint goes to get Wanda and he makes the great uh, beach boys joke. And he's like, you got to help me Wanda instead of you got to help me Rhonda. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> the fact that he makes that joke is fantastic. Uh, I just, I love so it. So many great jokes. Yeah. Matt, I, you're going to be shocked to say this totally didn't get that reference. Yeah, I didn't think, I didn't think you would. Uh, but I, I love, I love Clint in this film. I love that he's like, I did too. he's like, Hey, I, we haven't met before. I'm Clint and Black Panda's like, I don't care. And it's just <laughs> perfect. So yeah, they did a lot right. And I really like that. But I think what I like is better is the the fight obviously in siberia because it's where it all comes down to and they're able to use the fight to tell you where all of these different characters are and um i i just i really think that it's so well done it's so well choreographed it's so visceral it, it's um yeah it's they couldn't have done it better so uh, that is um, uh, to me, that was the emotional climax, the heart of the film. It kind of felt like Obi-Wan and Anakin fighting at the end of episode three, uh, to where, you know, um, 
they they have the moment where they're and when Cap's like, I can do this all day. You're like, heck yeah, he can. You know, that's that's why that's our hero. You know, and it, it, he's the same guy there as he was back in the original Cap movie before he even had his powers. You know, he hasn't changed. Yeah. So I just, it's fantastic. So much emotion in that fight too. It was uh, awesome to watch and hard to watch and some awesome shield play, Cap's shield all over the place and especially the stuff where he and Bucky are tossing it back and oh, forth. The like, tag yes. teams. You know what? And, and what's funny is about that, that whole end fight is that there's there's a really easy and cheap comparison you can make and you say, well, see, at least they didn't have their, their moms were the same name and they realized it and then both just gave up and the whole problem. <laughs> I could make that could joke, but for Matt, best friends? I'm not going to. Uh, Why can't well, we be friends? Uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I liked the... I well, And that was the thing, again, that was a weakness for me is that apparently Tony is a really big fan of his mom but we i don't feel like we yeah know not that. set up yeah and i i do feel like that again you know we we understand his daddy issues that's been well documented we just haven't heard about his mom and so that's where that part didn't work is, is like you killed my mom and i'm like that doesn't i'm sorry it doesn't make as much sense as it did in batman v superman where moms are a big deal uh, you know, for both I, of them. I almost feel like he's latching on to the loss of his mom because of the, his loss of Pepper. Like, uh, he, yeah, that's that could be the uh, one talk about really some strong Freudian female weirdness. influence in his life is gone, and it's made mm-hmm. him think about the other female influence that has been missing from his life the whole time. I do think that's a stretch. Um, I think it's not. I think it's not explicitly in the story, but I think you could argue that it's there. And I can, I'll give Megan, I'll give you a little bit of ammunition where he does, I'm trying to remember in the, in the middle of the film, he does reference about how, how his mom stuck, stuck with his dad all those years. Yeah. And um, Pepper was sticking with him. Yeah. And, and on top of that, it's, I mean, I just, this was not a problem for me at all because I just assumed unless stated otherwise people love their mothers and tend to have a pretty close relationship with them. You never, I mean, I, well, I wouldn't just assume that, you know, I've known too many people that have had, you know, different experiences with different parents, whether it's their father or their mother, you know, so, but I, I think you're on the right track and into maybe what the filmmakers were thinking, Bethany, uh, that, you know, people want, it's mommy. That's a big central part of the, um, of Thor too. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that is true. Yeah. Uh, I don't like to think yeah. about Thor too. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, okay, I want to I want to try to get to a couple of of last things. Um, one for me, uh, I do feel like this movie is a much better Avengers movie than Ultron was. Um, and so disagree. I, I, that's okay. But I wanted to ask you guys. For you, I, I think it's pretty clear that they wanted the Avengers to be in an Empire Strikes Back moment before they're about to face their worst villain ever in, you know, Avengers Infinity War with Thanos. They wanted them to be broken up and all of that. And so I wondered if, do you feel like Tony sending the letter and the phone was a little bit happy go lucky at the end a little bit too much or if maybe just the letter might have been nice without the phone so that you still felt like there was even more to repair there so that it was even a more dire situation so that once Thanos comes on the scene it's like 
man, these guys don't even really like each other right now. How are they going to get together and save the universe again? Yeah. I think it's I'll... Tony's MO. I, he can't stop tinkering with stuff, with people and with outcomes. And it's it's once he realizes that maybe, just maybe, Bucky wasn't fully responsible for what happened. And maybe, just maybe, killing somebody in revenge isn't the best way to go about things that uh, he realizes that he has to do something. And being a the, the flamboyant and definitely not understated personality that he is, he's going to write the letter and do the phone. He just can't stand to talk to Cap in person for a little while because he knows his emotions are running too high. Yeah, but it's not even like he sent him a really awesome phone. He like sent him a $25 flip phone. So it was kind of an afterthought. Like would well, it have no, been better? It's, it's like a, it's like a, I'm going to do the right phone. thing here, but I'm also going to flip you the middle finger while I'm doing it. I'm not even going to give you an awesome Stark Industries phone. It's it's a childish move. <laughs> uh, Cap is on the run. You know, he's in Wakanda. He's sending a phone that can't be traced. You know, I mean, he, he's bought it at the gas station and sent it to Tony. He's like, use it if you need it. You know, it. It, I, I didn't catch it as being like do, a... Do the Avengers have a burner phone? Is this a thing? Uh, do, do, are, do we have burner phones? Well, I, I I think that's what Cap sent him. I guess a, we, a burner we do phone, now. You know, like... Uh, burner phones are always a thing. There's one moment right at the end of the film where that was that was particularly... I don't know why it really hit me so much, but um, I think one of the biggest gut punch moments for me was not the moment that he says, you know, I don't care, he killed my mom. That was powerful, but really when it really hit me uh, was when he was so determined uh, to just, not not Cap, but Iron Man was determined to punch his way out of this one. When he's like, yes, almost every aspect of my powers are default. I'm almost certainly destined to lose, but I'm going to take this opportunity anyway. Analyze his fight pattern. We're going for this. And it just, when it turned to just this brutal fist fight, that brief sequence there was when I was like, man, I don't think this ends happily ever after. So the fact that it ends with Captain America plunging his shield into the heart, quite literally, uh, of, of Iron Man, and then uh, Bucky gets his arm sliced off, and then Tony's like, you don't deserve that shield. And presumably... He agrees. He said that his role as Captain America is no longer the same. He can't participate in the Avengers initiative and leaves Tony his shield. And and so I that, that's such a these are the two most popular characters. I would I, I don't think I mean, I guess arguments could be made otherwise, but still I think these are the two most popular characters from the entire cinematic universe, irrevocably damaged in their relationship. So I think having that one thread of hope to hang on to. Um, again, to kind of continue the Empire Strikes Back analogy, you, the communication between Luke and Vader uh, through hyperspace, uh, there's that one thread of hope. And so I think, honestly, it was necessary to not just be full-on depression. Well, you know, I, I got to get it to Cap. Uh, you know, you, you give away your vibranium shield, and where do you end up? But in Wakanda, the land of vibranium. The land of vibranium. So, I mean, I don't think uh, yeah. our new Secret Avengers leader is going to be without his shield for very long. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, though. I mean, it is a, it's a really powerful moment that um, 
can Cap be Captain America the way he's has been um, when people don't seem to be willing to allow him to be that hero? You know, um, they, they people don't seem to want him to be able to stand for all the things that Captain America has stood for. They want to tell him where to act and when to act and uh, take away his freedom and and wow, to talk about un-American. Um, you know, it so it's yeah, he drops the shield and and where he goes next I think is going to be really interesting. Um just a quick rundown. Uh we've got Doctor Strange coming out uh this November. Mm-hmm. Um, May next year is Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, July is Spider-Man Homecoming. November is Thor Ragnarok. February 2018 is Black Panther. Uh, May 4th is Avengers uh, Infinity War Part 1. July 6th is Ant-Man and Wasp. And then 2019 is uh, in May. We get Avengers uh, Infinity War Part 2 where they said they're changing those names. Uh, And then finally... Our first, finally, our first female superhero-led film from Marvel all the way in 2019. If that's not a middle finger, I'm not sure what is. We're finally <laughs> going to get Captain Marvel. So, um, man, I got to say, um, DC is doing at least one thing smart. They're uh, putting out uh, you know, Wonder Woman next year uh, to be the, the first of the major studios to, in their cinematic universes to celebrate a female superhero uh, I think that's smart. Um, and Marvel has uh, tried to say, oh, but we're going to be doing, we're, we're we're committing to a, a Black Widow movie, but like maybe probably phase four because we don't have time in phase three. So I, I don't know. Anyway, so th- that's all we've got coming out. So Marvel Cinematic Universe, not ending anytime soon. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's a short list. Yeah, the short list. Uh, well, they did take Inhumans off the list completely. It's they, they don't know when or if they're going to do that film. So maybe just Black Widow can take that spot wherever oh, that was be supposed brilliant. to be. Yeah, let's do that. Ratings, you guys. I really want to know um, where you put uh, Captain America Civil War. Um, Bethany, uh, out of five, what do you think? Five. I, lo- I, I mean, I really love Civil War, and it's making it harder for me to choose my favorite uh, Marvel movie, but it's definitely up there in my top couple. What about you, Riley? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Even I think our conversation here actually has revealed a, a few flaws that um, I hadn't really thought, I hadn't really considered as much. Um, but I think I'm still going to have to give it a five. I mean, th- th- it's what it's an example of a Marvel film that I, other than really really small things that don't make a big difference in the overall film uh i could i wouldn't change I, I, there's not there's nothing that happened there it's like ah that didn't make any sense uh, other than just the smallest uh, nitpicks so i'm definitely uh gonna give it a solid five megan where did you uh wind up with civil war i give it a f- i give it four and a half captain america shields out of five nice uh and i'm right there with you uh to me this is is four and a half stars uh this uh is an incredible movie and for me it is my second favorite marvel cinematic universe film uh next to the winter soldier which is number one Mm. and uh number three is captain america the first avenger so i love all the cap i know all the cap films are top three they're just great and in fact it's so hard to even rank these now because there's so many really well done marvel movies in fact as a fun little experiment um 
I, if I, if, could I toss it around the room real quick, Matt? And I'm just curious, everyone just name off any ones that they'd give five stars. They're like, this is a great film. Uh, the only one that for me that's five stars is The Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, so solid five for you. Megan, what about you? You have more than one big five star? I, I, it's been so long since I've seen Winter Soldier. I've only seen it a couple of times, actually, which it, it, it's embarrassing for me to say that. I need to watch it more times. Um, honestly, the first Iron Man movie is just so freaking solid. And it really just kicked everything off. And it ju- it set the tone for the whole, for everything that's happening. And it's just a solid film. I would, I would probably give that one a five. Yeah. Okay. Solid, solid, solid yeah. choice. Bethany, you got any, uh, any solid fives? I know you have a couple. Yes, obviously, this I, do, one. I do. Um, the first Iron Man. Okay. All three Cap films. Oh, interesting. All three. Yes. I love Captain America. All right. And uh, I want to say both Avengers, but I'm a little more hesitant on that. Uh, you're, you're getting sucked in by Matt's negativity. No, I, I have this irrational love for Age of Ultron. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm not even going to lie. It's because I love Ultron so much. And he's like, it's not, that movie is nothing but Ultron. So it's, it's hard for me. I, I do see its flaws, but. That's a good point. And then I guess in my, and I guess I'm just like this big Marvel nerd now. Like who would have seen seen it? Because I've never read the comic books growing up. But uh, I really have to give both Avengers uh, and then Winter Soldier and Civil War, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man all solid fives. Oh yes, Guardians. I forgot that. <laughs> oh yeah, Guardians is really good. Yeah, so, we'll talk about Guardians so, another time. So uh, we don't indeed, have time indeed. for that. So, and what? And I guess what I the reason I kind of wanted to do that is because it it's it seems impossible in some ways that that they've made so many just really really great films that just also happen to be fun superhero movies. Yeah, they are definitely doing a great job, and and uh, I have to say. I have loved spending the last three weeks on the show talking about my favorite Marvel superhero. I mean, Captain America is just fantastic. Uh, We get the chance to do that because we have amazing associate producers here on the show through Patreon. We've got Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. I really appreciate those guys supporting us through Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm, which is the best place that you can support the network. Uh, We are a listener-supported network, and we can't do this without you. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can make sure that all of the content from Trek FM keeps coming to you each and every week. Now, uh, this, I have to say, has, has been so much fun to have each and every one of you here to talk about Captain America Civil War. And, and uh, as we all gave credit to, it's it's a fantastic film. So uh, I'm sure that you probably already have seen it. Uh, if you're like me, you've already seen it three times, and you probably will see it again. So uh, if you haven't seen it for some reason and you've made it to the end of this show, what are you doing? Go to the theater. See Captain America Winter Soldier. <laughs> Go watch Soldier. it. See Captain America Civil War. That's right. So, um, Bethany, uh, before we go, uh, let everybody know where they can find you online. Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so you can find me on my personal Twitter account at Bethany L. Blanton. Same name on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook under the same name. I have Snapchat. I frequently use Periscope. And I love social media way too much. <laughs> what about you, Riley? Uh, you know what? If you guys, if you like Star Wars and you're listening to this, well, what are you doing? You should be going to StarWarsReport.com. Uh, and in fact, if you want to go to StarWarsReport.com slash iTunes, that's a great way. It takes you to the Star Wars Report podcast 
which is a weekly program that covers all the latest and greatest from that galaxy far, far away. Uh, the most recent episode, uh, if you guys want to take a gander, I had the pleasure of interviewing the the Oscar winner, Phil Tippett, uh, just a, a really fascinating guy, um, and, and it was such a pleasure to talk to him. So if you like Star Wars... Uh, which I have a feeling, if you're a Marvel guy, you might you might just be a Lucasfilm guy because hey, we're all under the same umbrella now. So uh, so check out the Star Wars Report podcast, and then also on on Twitter, I'm just at the Riley guy. Awesome, and I gotta say, do check out the Star Wars Report because it's fantastic. Uh, and yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we've got another great host from another great network here, and that's Megan from Educating Eat Geeks. So Megan, let everybody know about y'all's show and where to find you online. Yeah, so Educating Geeks is a regular podcast where we like to bring new people into our favorite fandoms. So we don't shame people who say, I've never seen the Captain America movies. We say, come over to my house and we're going to watch them all together and then we're going to talk about it afterwards on a podcast. So that's what we do. You can find us at Educating Geeks. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And (laughs) uh, EducatingGeeks.com is our website. You can find me... Megan Calcote at Meg Calcote on Twitter, Instagram. I think that's my Snapchat handle. I know I'm on Snapchat. I use it pretty regularly. If you want to see pictures of my dog at the park, that's what Snapchat is all about. Um, and uh, yeah, we're always posting new and interesting stuff on Educating Geeks. And we like to come up with drinking game rules for all of the topics that we cover. So uh, we make it extra fun by basically trying to destroy your liver. Yeah, which is great. Uh, I've been participating in creating one of those drinking games, and I had no compulsion about destroying somebody's liver. So uh, if you, if you want to hear more about what I'm doing, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm also over on that Instagram-y thing, uh, taking pictures of food and whatnot uh, at MRushing. You can find me uh, here on the network at TrekFM doing The Orb with Chris Jones where we talk about Deep Space Nine. I'm also doing literary treks, talking about the books and the comics with Dan. Uh, we got Bruce Gibson on these days as well, a lot talking about those books and comics and interviewing the authors, so make sure you check that out. Um, I'm also doing a Star Wars show myself with my friend John Mills. You can check that out at Aggressive Negotiations. Uh, where that's on iTunes. You can find us there, or we're on the nerdparty.com, so check us out on all of those places. It's so much fun. Uh, we have a blast talking. Our latest episode was talking about uh, the Phantom Menace soundtrack and going through some of our favorite things about that and all that. So, yeah, if you're a Star Wars geek, another great place for you to check out. And uh, as Captain America might say, y'all come back now, you hear? Bigger, mini, mini, money, and flower. You're the chosen one. Thank you.